Uh, please turn to 2 Kings chapter 20. This is the uh, third chapter in a row which features the story of Hezekiah, who was the 12th king of Judah. Hezekiah gets a lot of airtime, more than most. Some would say, some would argue that after the main three kings, the first three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, that Hezekiah is next in terms of prominence and importance. And so whenever he's initially introduced to us, which happened back in chapter 18, we read that there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after him. So Hezekiah, at some level, was unique. And part of the reason that he was unique, and we read that, is again because of something else we're told in God's word about this king. And that is that he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. And so last week, if you were here, based on chapter 19, we thought about, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to trust in God? What does trusting in God look like in practice? And we came up with two things. It means that we get real and we get praying. And so Hezekiah was someone who recognized reality. He was all too aware of his intense and difficult situation, that there was a real enemy closing in on him. But because Hezekiah trusted in God, he introduced or he brought God into his circumstances, and that changed and changes everything. And so we kept, or I kept repeating this phrase and this thought, that reality is not complete if it leaves out the reality of God. Reality is not complete if it leaves out the reality of God. We need to get real. And that meant for Hezekiah that he then not only sought the prayer of others, he asked others to pray for him, but he himself got down on his knees and prayed. Because when you trust God, that's what you do. When you trust God, that is your default position, if you like. That is your first port of call every single time. And so Hezekiah got real and he got praying and we need to do likewise. That is if if we genuinely trust. So let's start reading the next chapter in Hezekiah's story. We're not going to stand at this stage, but have a look at verse 1. I do have it on the screen here. This is Hezekiah, or 2 Kings 20, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die and you will not recover. Now, I kind of want to pause there and I, I need to be sensitive. And I want to be sensitive. And I hope you know me well enough that I will be sensitive. But I need to be sensitive and ask this question. And I think the text this morning forces us to at least consider this question. And it's this. What would you do? What would you do? If you got this kind of heads up, and I know some people do and some people have, but if you were explicitly told that death was imminent and recovery was out of the question. And you were then told to put your house in order. What would you do? What would you do today? What would you do this week? What would you do practically? 
What would you do spiritually to get ready and get things sorted out? What preparations would you make? What action would you take? Now, I I realize it's not a great or particularly happy thought for a Sunday morning, like who wanted to come to church today and get asked that question? And yet, you know something? I was, as I've been thinking about this, and I was wrestling with whether I would ask that question. And yet, to ignore the reality that we're all going to die and need to be prepared is potentially far more unhelpful and far more insensitive on my part. And so, let's be honest about this. One out of one people die. And God not only knows our birthday, but he knows our death day. And so Job 14.5 says this, a person's days are determined. Your days are determined. You have decreed, this is God, God, you have decreed the number of man's months and you have set limits that he cannot exceed. But the issue isn't that God knows The issue is that not all of us get the kind of heads up or the kind of warning that Hezekiah did. Not any of us, not many of us, probably none of us knows exactly when it is going to happen. But the question I have for you this morning is, if you did, if like Hezekiah, you did know it was imminent, what would you do? What would you do? Well, let's see what the sick king and by the way, Hezekiah is about 38 years old when he gets told this. So let's see what this sick king does. Look at verses two and three. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion, and I have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the first thing I want to say is this, this prognosis for Hezekiah was clearly hard to take. He's 38 years old. And so he buries his face in the wall and he breaks down. And he cries his eyes and he cries his heart out. Receiving this kind of news is devastating and therefore it's not surprising to read of his raw emotion and his honest response. In fact, I'm really glad we read this because when most people are told this kind of information, they do get upset, they do shed tears, they do fall apart. Perfectly understandable. Just because this king trusted in God doesn't mean when he hears news like this, he doesn't just break into pieces, because he does. Buries his face in the wall, weeps bitterly. But secondly, Hezekiah immediately prays. He turns to God, he gets down on his knees, and again, here is evidence and proof that Hezekiah did really, it wasn't just what it was said about him, that really was who he was. Hezekiah really did trust God. This is what trust looks like. But what Hezekiah prays is fascinating and striking. He doesn't ask for anything. There's no explicit petition. There's no please God, no. No, please God, spare me, heal me, fix me. He doesn't request a single thing. 
Instead, he appeals to God by reminding God how he had walked before him faithfully, how he had walked before him with total commitment, and how he had done what was good in God's eyes. That's it. And I find that, and I found it this week, deeply challenging. And I found it deeply challenging at two levels because one, I reckon I would have had a very long list of requests from, of God. And secondly, I'm left with this question. Could I echo Hezekiah's prayer? Are those three characteristics true of me? Are those an accurate sum up of how I have lived my life, of how I have done life? Whenever I'm putting my house in order, would I be able to sit or kneel before God and say those things with all integrity? If you're looking for three aims in life, if you want to know how to live out the decreed number of days that you have got left, those are three pretty good desires. Be faithful. Be wholeheartedly devoted to God. And do what is good in God's eyes. That's it. Be faithful. Be wholeheartedly devoted. And do what's good. That was Hezekiah's prayer. So what happens next? Well, let's get back to the text. Look at verses four to six, because this gets interesting. More interesting. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, go back. And tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says. I have heard your prayer and I've seen your tears and I will heal you. And on the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord and I'm gonna add 15 years to your life. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria and I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. God hears Hezekiah's prayer. God sees Hezekiah's tears. He listens, he sympathizes and that in itself is good to know and comforting. But then what does God do? He alters Hezekiah's future. God reverses his word. He changes his mind. Or back to Job 14, God decides, you know that limit that no one can exceed? Well, you're going to exceed it. Hezekiah is going to recover, contrary to verse 1. He is going to be healed. He is going to live for another 15 years. And that's not all, but because with God, there tends to be immeasurably more. God is also going to deliver Hezekiah from the king of Assyria and he's going to defend Jerusalem, the capital city of so that Judah, or the, so that Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah won't be taken. Hezekiah didn't ask for any of that. He didn't ask to be healed. He didn't ask for an extended life. He didn't ask to be saved from the king of Assyria and he didn't ask for Jerusalem to be rescued. But he gets it all. And that's grace. So the question is, how do we get our heads around this? Why the death sentence and then reverse it? Discuss. Why the death sentence, God? And then reverse it. Has anything like this ever happened before? 
Well, let me take you back to Exodus 32 for a second. Golden calf incident. Moses has been away. He's been away with God for a very long time. And the people, the children of Israel who are at the bottom of the mountain have got fed up waiting for him. And so they decide with Aaron's help that they're going to make for themselves and they're going to worship a handmade idol. Going to worship a golden calf. And God sees all of this because God sees everything. But God sees all of this. And he says to Moses, Moses, I need you to head back down the mountain because I need you to see for yourself the level of corruption that has kicked off, that is taking place. And do you know something else, Moses? I need you to leave me. And the reason I need you to leave me is I need you to go so that, and this is a direct quote, so that my anger may burn against my people and that I may destroy them. And then we read, Moses turned to God and he talked to God and he effectively prayed to God and he said, please God, don't do that. Or again, to quote it directly from scripture, relent God, do not bring disaster on, you, on your people. And then in Exodus 32 verse 14, we read this, then the Lord relented, changed his mind and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. So something like what happens here in 2 Kings 20 has happened before. God has not gone back on his word. That is taking it too far. That's putting it too strongly. But he has revised what he initially said. And although I don't really know how to explain that to you this morning, I don't know how to explain that adequately or satisfactorily for lots of people who have got questions around this. All I can say, and the only point I want to make is this, that prayer was one decisive factor behind God's revised word. Can I say that again? Prayer was one decisive factor behind God's revised word. So Moses prays, God relents. Hezekiah prays. God extends. And whatever else is going on here, prayer matters. And I love what Brian prayed as he led us in prayer. He prayed that this would be praying to God, coming before our heavenly Father would be not something we neglect, but something we are committed to, consciously committed to, completely committed to passionately committed to. Why? Because prayer matters. Prayer makes a difference. Prayer is instrumental. Prayer changes things. It's not just prayer in itself changes things, but when you pray to the God who changes things, that is why prayer is so important. And I know this seems to be a recurring and key point and takeaway week after week after week at the moment, but please, may we as a church never lose sight of the importance of prayer in our personal lives and in our corporate life. Never. Our prayer alters futures. We need to pray. We must pray. So another simple question. How is your prayer life? How's your prayer life been this week? What's it looked like for you to get down on your knees before your father and talk to him? Well, back to the story because this just keeps getting even more interesting. Look at verse seven. Then Isaiah said, prepare a poultice of figs. They did so and applied it to the boil. So the, 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 the thing that Hezekiah had, this was some kind of boil, some kind of rash, some kind of skin condition. And then it says he recovered. And the question we all have is, well, well why was that needed? Could God have not have healed Hezekiah without that? Well, of course he could. I mean, if God can extend someone's life by 15 years just like that, he can heal just like that. 
But the fact is, the truth is that divine healing doesn't always exclude human means. God uses means. God uses treatment. God uses medicine. God uses the input and the intervention of others at times to bring about healing. God does heal. God can heal. But how God heals and if God heals, that is his call. But it turns out then that Hezekiah, and again, it's just, just fascinates me. Hezekiah had asked for a sign. Look at verse 8. Because whenever Isaiah told Hezekiah that God was going to heal him and give him another decade and a half to live, Hezekiah turned around and says, well, I need a sign. I need some, I need some evidence of this. I need a sign. I know what you're saying. I know you've said the Lord says it, but, but I still need a sign. I love it. It's a bit cheeky. But God gives him a sign which involves, and I don't really understand what's going on here, but it involves shadows doing the reverse of what they're meant to do. But whatever is going on, the point is this, that God gives Hezekiah a sign that leaves Hezekiah in no doubt that he is going to be healed and he is going to live longer. And as I've said before, the grace of God is all over this incident. All over it. None of this is deserved. But God in his grace just keeps giving and giving. And then something else happens. And the story progresses. And there's one more recorded incident in the life of Hezekiah before we get to the end of the chapter and we get to the end of his actual life. Only this next incident doesn't show Hezekiah in quite such a good light. You see, it turns out that Hezekiah is faithful but flawed. Or is it that he's flawed but faithful? Discuss that one again. Think about what way around, what way does that work? It's true of lots of us, isn't it? Do you know one of the things I love about scripture, and one of the reasons why it's so believable to me anyway is because it doesn't airbrush out all the not so good bits about the heroes of the faith. Hezekiah trusted in God. Hezekiah walked faithfully with God. Hezekiah was totally committed to God. Hezekiah did what was good in God's eyes. But you know something he also messed up? And those mistakes are not edited out. Hezekiah was good, but he wasn't perfect. None of us are. But let's read what this looks like in this guy's life. Verses 12 to 19. And if you are able, do you want to stand? Because we need to stay warm. Somebody said to me this morning, could you cut it quite short this morning, David? We're freezing. So I'm, I'm doing my best here, okay? So let's, let's go with this. So verse 12 reads like this. I think I do have the words on screen. Thanks, God. At that time, Marduk Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. It's nice. Hezekiah received the envoys and showed them all that was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, and the fine oil, his armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Well, then Isaiah the prophet went to King Isaiah and asked him, what did those men say? Where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied, they came from Babylon. And the prophet asked, well, what did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There's nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. And then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day, it's going to be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood who will be born to you, will be taken away and they will become eunuchs. 
castrated servants in the palace of the king of Babylon. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought to himself, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? Please take a seat. So, see the two world superpowers at this time are Assyria, but also Babylon. And word gets through to the son of the king of Babylon about Hezekiah's illness. And so he sends Hezekiah a get well soon card and a gift. And he also sends him some envoys to visit him. Now, as we know, Hezekiah is no longer a sick and a dying man. He's fully recovered. He's got years ahead of him. And so what a chance he has got to tell his story. He's got an opportunity to say something about God's goodness and God's grace and God's kindness and God's healing. He's got this real opportunity to glorify God, but Hezekiah doesn't even mention God. Instead, he shows off. It's all about his storehouses and his armory and his treasures and his palace and his kingdom. It's all there in verse 13. And whenever Isaiah comes along and challenges Hezekiah or questions him about what had just happened, Hezekiah talks about showing the visitors my treasures and everything in my palace. And it's at this point that Isaiah shares a sobering word for God about how Judah will eventually go exactly the same way as Israel into exile. All that stuff that Hezekiah has just showed off all that stuff that he said was mine it's going to be carted off and some of his descendants some of his own flesh and blood are going to be taken away to become those eunuchs in the king of Babylon's palace you see in these verses Hezekiah reveals the deadly sin of pride which was still alive and well in his life and Hezekiah might have been faithful to God but as I say he didn't get it right Whenever he got attention from some big people, some important people, he milked it. And so he stood in front of them with his chest puffed out and he said, look at me. Look at what I've got. Look at what I've accumulated. But as we all know, pride comes before a fall. And so it's during his watch that the word of God comes that exile is coming down the tracks. I'm not suggesting it was all Hezekiah's fault, but I am suggesting that pride certainly didn't help. And for all of us, and I definitely include myself here, we've got to be so careful about the presence of pride in our lives and our hearts. Because you see, you can belong to God and you can be committed to God, but pride can still creep up on us and it can still seep out of us all too easily and all too quickly. One of my uh, favorite worship songs, we we don't sing it here, one of my favorite worship songs is called Obsession by Delirious. And it talks about our hearts burning for God. And it's one of those songs, I've quoted a part of it before, not this part, but I've quoted part of it before where where he says that sometimes, God, you feel further than the moon and sometimes you feel closer than my skin. And I can relate to that. I don't know if you can. Sometimes God feels a million miles away. Sometimes he just feels so close. But it includes this lyric. And I'm so filthy with my sin, I carry pride like a disease. And you know I'm stubborn God, and I'm longing to be close. Because you see, I know how easily it can all become about me. 
I know how easily it can all become about me and about what I want and about my way and about my reputation and about what you think of me and about what you think about what I say and how I share what I share. It's so easily become about that. How good I am. Look at me. You see, pride is a lethal sin. It's why according to some, it's the deadliest. And Hezekiah got tripped up by it and he fell into it. And therefore, although he was a good king and although he trusted in God and although he was faithful, he was flawed. Just like David, just like Peter, just like Noah, just like Abraham, just like Jonah, and on and on we could go. And I'm not saying that to excuse me. I'm not saying that to excuse any of us, that when we mess up well, we're, we're just like so many others. I'm just highlighting the reality of God's word and the warning of God's word. Don't, don't copy their mistakes, learn from them. And so if you're carrying pride in any shape or form, confess it. Seek God's forgiveness. And the final way that Hezekiah responds, I'm nearly done. The final way Hezekiah responds is, is a bit unclear. And I know when it comes to verse 19, different people have interpreted it in different ways. But look at it again, it's on the screen. The word of the Lord you have spoken, this is Hezekiah addressing Isaiah. The word of the Lord that you have spoken, it's good. For he thought, will there not be peace and security? You see, the first part sounds so positive, almost submissive. If this is what God has said is going to happen, then, then that's, that's fine, that's good. But part two doesn't come across so well, almost a bit self-centered. Because what he's really saying is, yeah, but it won't happen in my lifetime. Disaster won't hit under my watch. Yeah, it's my flesh and blood that are going to get carted off, but not me. I'm all right, Jack. And so therefore, verse 19 boils down to submissive, yet selfish. Submissive, yet selfish. Faithful, flawed, flawed faithful. So we come to the end of Hezekiah's life and reign. The last two verses tell us that he was led to rest with his ancestors. And his son Manasseh becomes king. And the question is, wonder what sort of king he's going to be? Well, we'll find out in three weeks. So what's the takeaway this morning? Well, let me give you, I normally start with a question I'm going to end before. Here are four questions to take home and to mull over. You want to scribble these down, scribble them down. If you've got a phone, you want to take a picture of the screen, take a picture of the screen. But here's four questions that I want to leave you with, and I really do encourage you to take time to think these through. Are you prepared to die? Are you? What needs to be put in order in your life if you got this news? Second question, how is your prayer life? What place, what priority does it currently have in your daily rhythm? Thirdly, could you echo Hezekiah's prayer about walking faithfully with God, being totally devoted to him, and about doing what's good in his eyes? And then fourthly, is there any hint of pride that needs confronting and confessing?